After Christmas, sort of feels like the party's over, sinks full of dishes, house is a mess. After those leftovers are being taken care of, then we got to look to Marie Osmond yet again. You know, she's only famous once a year in January, <laughs> or Jenny Craig, or whoever it is you use. Uh, but uh, Merry Christmas again. It is a blessing to be here today. It's been uh, quite the week, and uh, we're excited to be able to celebrate our Lord and Savior this morning. What a blessing. Welcome to our live stream, Fellowship Center. Uh, we've got a, a young man, Jamie Lowry. Jamie, would you come on up here? Jamie is currently serving the United States Army. He serves our country. I think that deserves a round of applause. There we go. He is uh, currently here from uh, Fort Irwin in California. He's here on leave. And if you weren't nervous before, Jamie, you got a standing ovation. You had not even done anything yet. It's pretty awesome. All right, you share a scripture with us. It's on. It's on. Uh, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Matthew twenty-seven fifty. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Matthew 28, 5 through 6. Amen. Thank you, brother. Hang on. I want to have a prayer uh, for Jamie. Father, I'm just uh, grateful for my young brother. Uh, grateful for this soldier who serves our country and uh, helps to keep us safe every single day. I pray for his brothers and his sisters on his left and his right. pray for all those who wear the uniform that you protect them. And I pray, Father, more than anything, you protect their hearts from the evil one. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah, you can applaud again. I love that. Home and sharing with us. What a blessing. So on Christmas Eve, we celebrated not just the birth of Christ. We also celebrated his life and his death because it takes all of that for us to be saved, right? And that's the power of who Jesus is. We celebrated with worship and song and praise and prayers of thanksgiving. We shared from the word in a community of believers. And we said it wasn't just a celebration, but it's always a reflection, an introspection into our hearts and lives. Every time that we talk about Jesus, we should always look at ourselves and say, are you following him? Are you doing what he's called you to do? Last Sunday, we looked at a uh, what I saw as a lonely path for Jesus to be able to save all of us. We know that he was betrayed and denied by his brothers. I mean, the ones he loved the most. He was separated from his family and his followers. He was lied about and he was falsely accused, completely rejected by the people that he came to save. People that had known for thousands of years that he was coming. And yet they lied about him. He was manipulated and he was sentenced to torture 
an execution by the government that was there to protect him alone. And yet he sacrificed himself for us on the cross. Today we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 27. And we continue to see this life-changing power. But this is one of those uh, instant replays because upon further review, there was a hidden community that was there. Now, you couldn't see it. They couldn't even see it. But it was there. And today, as we talk about his resurrection, we're going to begin to see what that hidden community is really all about. You see, in Matthew chapter 27, we talked about this last week, when Jesus gave up his spirit there on that cross, a lot of things happened at one time. It was dark, we know, for three hours. I mean, this is some eclipse, complete darkness, because the light of the world is being extinguished, right? And the Almighty wanted everybody to know about it. There was a great earthquake. And it wasn't just a normal earthquake. It was an earthquake so powerful that it split open rocks and it opened up tombs. And dead people came out of the tombs. Now, that's some earthquake. It usually happens the opposite now, right? But this was people coming back to life. Something was going on. At the same time, in the temple... The curtain that hung in between the Holy of Holies and the Most Holy Place. In the Holy of Holies, only one person a year could even go in there. And yet it was ripped from top to bottom. Access now granted because of the sacrifice on the cross. The Roman execution squad, and I would be willing to bet this is a grisly seasoned group of men. You don't get a job like this unless you understand torture and death, and you're willing to do anything to anybody. These men have seen it all. And here, when all this is going on, the centurion of these men said, surely he was the Son of God. Luke says it this way, Luke 23, he praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. These guys were terrified, shook to the core. See, even for the fighting men, there are things bigger, right, than your weapon, than your duty. He almost had it. He was close. He was moving in the right direction because he said he was. If he had really gotten it, and hopefully one day he did, he would have said, surely this is the Son of God. Surely this is a righteous man. Surely this is the great I Am, who is not bound by things that bind us. If they had put R.I.P. on the tombstone of Jesus... It would not have stood for rest in peace, but raised in power. That's the Lord we serve. None of the other world religions has an empty tomb of their Savior, but for us who call on his name. Where was this uh, hidden community that I mentioned earlier? If you have your Bibles or tablets or phones, turn to Matthew chapter 27, verse 55. That's where we're going to pick up. 
The first group I want to talk about is a group I call the Marys. Now, I don't know why so many were named Mary that were in the inner circle, but there were a lot of Marys. And so I, I kind of like that, the Marys. Verse 55 says, many women were there this moment when he died, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Now, they've been following him for three years. We know from Luke 8, they were financially helping and taking care of Jesus and the disciples. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. We know also, of course, that Mary, the the sister of Martha and Lazarus, played a huge role in Jesus' ministry. And she was the one in uh, back in Matthew 26 that used that expensive perfume to anoint him, to prepare him for his burial. And you remember the disciples, specifically Judas, were they were indignant in that moment. And they said, why? We should sell this. Why, why, would you, why this extravagance and pour, just pouring it out? And Jesus rebuked them. He said in verse 13, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, this is a big statement. What she has done will also be told in memory of her. Here I am, 2,000 years later, what? Talking about Mary. That's how powerful it was in the moment and still is to worship our Lord and Savior extravagantly. I mean, he's worth it, right? And Jesus seemed to love these Marys. Of course, there was Mary, the mother of Jesus, who had brought him into the world. And now was watching this brutal way that he was being taken out of the world. The angel, you remember, said to her, you who are highly favored. And for her to be able to be the one that would become supernaturally pregnant and deliver the savior of the world. How did she answer her call by saying, I am the Lord's servant? Boy, that's some Mary. From the cross with his dying words, Jesus commissioned John to take care of Mary because that's how much he loved her. He had brothers that would have had the job, but he wanted that job to be done by one that he trusted, the apostle John. Jesus loved his Marys. We know from Luke chapter 8, that Mary Magdalene was the one that had seven demons cast out. Now, there's probably some here that have had one or two. I don't know that I know any seven demon people that I ever met. That'd be a tough life, wouldn't it? And yet all were cast out. And therefore, she was motivated. She was part of the backbone of Jesus' ministry. You see, Mary's like all of us, are transformed by deliverance. Mary Magdalene's life was transformed. How could she not serve him? They're motivated by service, behind the scenes, selfless, tireless, worker bees. They're people who don't leave, but they stay until the job is done. There are a lot of Marys in this church. They're recognized by few. And that's by design. 
I was thinking about a lot of Marys, and I was going to talk about them, and I thought, no, I'm not, because that's not why they do it. They do it to serve Christ, not to be lauded, not to be lifted up. But I can promise you this, as a guy who's been up front for a long time, you don't get things done without the Marys. They make it happen. Yesterday morning I was here and I was working on this lesson. It's quiet here, especially on Christmas Day. And I got the news that Joanne Sutterfield, our dear sister, has gone on to be with the Lord. And I thought, well, you know what? I can talk about her because she's not here for me to embarrass her. She has run the race. She has realized the reward. But let me tell you something. That woman was a Mary. Oh, she was such an encouragement to me. She used to write me poems. See, I was a young preacher with a bunch of not-so-young preachers, so I was super intimidated to work here. And yet, she was in my corner. I mean, she'd tell me when I messed up, but she loved me. And I loved her. She was a Mary. You don't get things done without the Marys. There's another secret group in this community. I call them the double secret agents. We're going to pick up them in verse 57. See, there's always double secret agents working both sides of the equation. I've told you before, when I was here as a teenager, I was a double secret agent for the evil one. And there's some of those around. You know who you are. You look like you got it together, but you're really serving the wrong side. And the only reason I know there's still some here is because I was one. You sing the songs, you listen to the sermons, but like Jesus said, inside it's like dead men's bones. There's no way to live, I can tell you that right now. So there was also double secret agents the other way. And there are two men, one is mentioned here, the other in the book of John, Matthew 27, verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Now, we know from the other accounts in Mark and John that he was a member of the high council. He didn't agree with what they were doing. He was a double secret agent. He was a disciple of Jesus here in the midst of the ones who wanted to kill him. But he's coming out now. And by the way, you can't stay a double secret agent forever. Sooner or later, you're going to choose a side. I did. And then I switched back. Praise the Lord. Going to Pilate, verse 58, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Probably never would have happened had he not been a man of high ranking and wealth. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. Now, like they do down south in New Orleans, these were rental tombs. You know, there was, it was not only was it new, nobody had ever been in there before because there would be a, a, a rental. You know, you'd use this for a while and then somebody else would be there. Did you know that's the way it is in New Orleans? You go into a, a Catholic cemetery down there and they're on the side of that crypt. It goes back 150 years of all the people that have been in there. It's natural cremation. 
that happens in those tombs. You didn't know that, did you? One year and one day, and then you're right out the back. Some of the most lush grass you've ever seen around this place. But this was a new tomb because he was worthy. Nobody had ever been in this one. And because this man was a believer. We know from John's account that not only was he here, but also a man named Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees. And he too now was making a public statement. We're out. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and he went away. And I love 61 because here are the Marys again. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb, not leaving. I mean, they're seeing this thing through, right? There's one more group, and I want to save them for last. I call them the locked-in fear group, but they're a huge part of the story. So while you've got this hidden community that's here, that's now Jesus is gone, you've also got the hideous community of evil that's still trucking. Now, what happens next in the text here, Matthew 27, is only mentioned by Matthew. None of the other gospel writers talk about this. And I think I know the reason why. But I want to read it to you because this is the meanwhile on the evil side. Here's what's happening. Verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Evil never stops. Now, you'd think these guys would be happy. Jesus is dead. The party's over. No. Evil never stops. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, see what they're doing? They're building a narrative. It's what evil people do. Truth doesn't matter. The narrative matters. That deceiver, they said. After three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day, as if, if he really could be risen from the dead, you could secure it. But you see, evil is proud. They think they have all the answers. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he was raised from the dead. Yeah, they seem like the type to do that. They're cowered in a room behind a locked door. They're not going to be stealing any bodies. But what? We got the narrative, right? We're now laying out the truth that we want people to know. Do you know people still do that? This last deception, they said, will be worse than the first. See again how they're making this out to be? This guy was a liar from the beginning. And now they'll lie at the end. They couldn't be happy that he was just dead. Now they got to make sure he stays dead. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb, I love this phrase, as secure as you know how. What does that mean? I mean, you could take that a lot of different ways. I take that as Pilate, and we know how doubtful he's been to saying, all right, take your best shot. Secure as you know how. Because he's thinking in his mind what I'm thinking. If he's coming back from the dead, I can't stop it. Secure as 
You know how. So they went, they made the tomb secure. How'd they do it? By putting a seal on the stone, a Roman seal, and posting a guard. Well, that's going to do it. The power of Rome and a guard. The narrative has been established. Look at chapter, uh, Matthew 28, 2. There was a violent earthquake. Here's another earthquake. After shocks are going here. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Okay, Roman authorities, Jewish leaders, we'll just have an angel come down who can roll the stone and then sit on it. How did the guards respond? They look at him. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. They were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. A fear-induced coma, like a fainting goat. Down they went. I guess they didn't know how to secure. You see, the truth is that a supernatural force opened the tomb. And the truth and the facts were witnessed by these guards. So you would think that now the narrative has changed, correct? Nope. Verse 11. Some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. You wouldn't believe it. This person shows up. I mean, he's like, he's glowing I mean, by his own hand, he rolls the stone, he sits on it. We were terrified. I mean, they tell the truth, and I bet it was some story. They didn't say, yeah, his, uh, you know, fisherman followers came and overpowered us. So now the truth, right? When the chief priest took that information and met with the elders, they devised a plan. Whoa, Nellie. Devised a plan? Why not just take the truth and say, you know what? He is who he said he was. We were wrong. Let's follow him. Let's find him. No. Didn't follow the narrative. So they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. Same old, same old, right? Just give them some money. Work with Judas, right? You know how evil just keeps using the same old treads every, every time, over and over? Here's what you're to say. His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Well, that's a good, believable story there as they're hunkered down in the room. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. I bet they will. We've seen this with Judas, right? They went all George Foreman on him. Not my problem. That's your problem. You think if Pontius Pilate decides to go after these guards, that these guys are going to step up and keep them off of him? No. Evil has no community, only destruction. So the soldiers took the money, did as they were instructed, and now this line is so powerful. Moses puts this in here. I mean, Matthew. And this story 
has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The narrative worked for many. Why do people want to believe lies instead of truth? Why? Because that's what evil does. It always has some itching ears. And Moses writes this because he knows that A.D. 70 is looming as he wrote this letter. Judgment is coming. And he's trying to tell his own people, you were duped by dopes. Look, this, this has all been a lie. A lot of people saw it. He's back. But they still believed the narrative. So, what happens when an unstoppable force meets a seemingly immovable object? You know what happens? God wins. God wins. Matthew 28, 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Do you know why it is that Jesus first appears in his glorified, resurrected body to the Marys? Do you know why? Because they never left. You see, when you never leave, you get to see glorious and wonderful things. That's the power of being a Mary. They were there. And they got to see him first. I used to go to LSU games on Saturday night when I was a younger man. And I would drive back to teach or preach here. But you know what? I was always thinking about when I could leave. Because I had a long drive ahead. So I didn't stay. I missed a lot of cool stuff in Tiger Stadium. Why? Because of you. It's because I wasn't a very good Mary. You got to stay to see the good stuff. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid because we know how he looked, right? For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. An empty tomb. Some folded up clothes. And Jesus gone. Wow. Go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb. afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell the disciples. Now we know, especially from the Luke account, that they get to see him. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came and they clasped his feet and they worshiped. That's what you do when someone comes back from the dead. You worship. That's what they did. You remember he had to tell Mary to marry you. You can't keep holding on to me. I still got, I got to go. I wouldn't want to let go either. I don't want to let go ever. Suddenly Jesus met them. Suddenly. Then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Over and over and over. Fear, right? Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There 
they will see me. And that's that last group in the hidden community. Eleven men who would literally change the world. But the only way that they had the power to do that was to see a resurrected Jesus. I mean, so powerful in his glorified body that you're in a locked room and he goes right through the door at the molecular level. And here he is. He can make himself look like other people. And yet he can still eat fish. Woo! Powerful. They grabbed his hands and they grabbed and they looked at the wounds and it was really him. Mm. You see, when you're locked up in fear, you're locked in and other people are locked out. As long as they were in that room, they weren't going to be able to change the world. They weren't going to be able to do anything for anybody until they saw the resurrected Lord. And when they came out of that room, when they went up on that mountain, when they went in that upper room in Acts chapter 1, when the power of the Holy Spirit came on them in Acts chapter 2, the world would be changed forever. And to this day, it's still being changed. But not if you're locked up. Not if you're locked in. Not if you haven't experienced the resurrected Lord. You say, wow, we can't see him. Yeah, you can. I see him every day. I see him lived out in the people, in the community that we have. See, the community is no longer hidden. It was hidden out of fear. But you overcome fear by realizing the power of who Jesus is. Love. And the power of love. Experienced in other people's lives. Fearful followers become fearless leaders. They can go to their death knowing that they'll be raised again. My sister went home yesterday without the fear of death. You say, well, how do you know you weren't with her? Because I know her. She believed. Therefore, she knew the ground can't hold her because of who Jesus is. He came out. He walked, he ate, he went through walls, and he left and went back as a representative for every single one of us at the right hand of the Father. But he told the disciples, and he tells us, I won't leave you. I'm coming back. My question to you this morning is, are you ready for him to come back? Are you ready for that moment when the spirit and the soul leave your body? I love it. There's a man that knows. When I preached here before, the other time I call it, I used to always tell the church that I wish you would live a life. See, because I did a lot of funerals and I said, live a life that makes it easy for me when I have to preach your funeral. I don't, I don't want to have to really work that hard at it. And have to come up with good things about you. I would rather it be so obvious that it would be easy to speak at your funeral. It's a great way to live. Here lies Tommy Edmund. Servant of Jesus. Let me tell you about some of the things that God did in this man.
or whoever it may be. And by the way, Tommy's a great shepherd in our church, but the least in the kingdom is greater than him because of Jesus. Are you living that way in him? If you've got any double secret agents in here, today's a good day to switch sides. Don't stay. Evil will not be your friend. It will out you at the worst possible time. That's what the evil one does. He doesn't care about you. And when you suffer, he'll say, not my problem. Today's the day. If you need to become a Christian, today's the day. If you're not ready for the final coming, today's the day. You can be ready. Who knows? He may come back today, the day after Christmas. Wouldn't that be great? Jesus Christ lives. And he lives for us. If you have a need this morning, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?